Well, I thought we'd do something a little different tonight to start out our time together around the Word of God. You can make your way to Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles if you have them. And uh, just an FYI that we're ordering this week, we'll order Bibles that will be here to be able to be used during our services. And I made mention of this this morning. If you're unaware of it, I'm using the English Standard Version of the Bible. Um, if you'd like to read about that or order one of those, I would commend it to you. It's at esv.org. Um, it's a newer translation uh, built on the tradition, translated on the tradition of the earliest in the King James line, and uh, really a reader's uh, version of the Bible. Very helpful, word-for-word accuracy, and I would commend it to you as would many if uh, you were to go to uh, their website and see. You can see those who are already using this, and I would encourage you by knowing the inside scoop that hopefully within two years we'll have the MacArthur Study Bible in the ESV. And uh, so that's a little tidbit that, that uh, it's not out there yet because we need to, we don't, they do, need to sell the NAS. And if you're using that, I trust you're enjoying that. But uh, make your way to Ephesians chapter 4. I wanted to read to you tonight ten commitments that the leadership team made uh, together as we discussed our coming to... California from Texas. Uh, David Morris and I were on the phone uh, way too much at that point. Phone bills were being racked up, and we were praying and considering what God would have us to do. And we, through one meeting, and I'm not sure, maybe one of the leadership guys knows, but it was too late on my time. I was two hours ahead, and we were way into the evening. I think Renee had given up. She usually would sit on the floor in my office during the uh, conference calls and uh, try to pick up the other half of the conference call just from what I was saying and uh, try to take notes and everything. And it was very hilarious because she had no idea what was being said on the other end of the phone. And so this night, I think she gave up at around three or four of this list of ten. But I thought I'd read them to you. We're going to put them in print and make them available to you as a pamphlet, something that uh, particularly new people to our church can take home with them. And uh, that's already being processed and being made. And we'll try to get that done as quickly as we can, as well as our statement of faith and uh, all the documentation that we need to get done. There's so much to do and uh, seems like so little time to do it. But let me read these to you, and I trust these will be an encouragement to you. These are the ministry commitments of Grace Church of the Valley. These are what we stand for. This is what we want to commit our entire ministry to. And we want these kind of be the the Ten Commandments of our church, the Ten Commitments that we stand back and say, how are we doing in our desire as a church? And uh, are we pursuing what we set out to pursue? Commitment number one is a commitment to God and to His authoritative Word. We'll put these little blurbs next to them. The Bible is God's revelation to us in completion, perfection, and absolute authority. Therefore, consistent expository teaching and application of what God has said in His Word is a must. So commitment number one is to God Himself through His authoritative Word. Commitment number two is to proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Savior. Salvation is a Lordship issue. Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior and the two cannot be separated. The modern shallow understanding of salvation and the Gospel known as easy believism stands in stark contrast to what the Bible teaches. The gospel call to faith presupposes that sinners must repent of their sin and yield to Jesus Christ's authority. 
Commitment number three is a commitment to dependent, expectant prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. Every aspect of ministry must be saturated with humble surrender and confident intercession. Dependent, expectant prayer. Prayer has been called the breath of dependence for the believer. It's our breath. It's our life as we call out to our, our loving Father. Commitment number four is a commitment to a plurality of servant leaders. Multiple qualified elders who respect and value one another and who serve God's people in humility must lead the church. The church must diligently prepare future leaders who are confidently committed to God's truth and who are able with precision and skill to lead others into that truth. And I just want you to know at the outset that there's not a one-man band mentality here, nor is it a dictatorship, nor is it an oligarchy. Uh, This is not uh, some uh, form of leadership that would be heavy-handed. We desire to have servant leaders, and we desire to have them in a plurality. A group of men providing direction and leadership as outlined from the New Testament, particularly found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, as well as Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter 5. Commitment number five. So Renee went to bed right there. That was it. That's all the further I think we got. And uh, I read these in the morning. Commitment number five is to God-centered worship. Believers gather to worship and to be equipped and then spread out to evangelize. Church services must be primarily for the glory and pleasure of God, which result in the progressive maturity of His people. And I would just encourage you that our goal here, the songs we sing, the time around the Word, is for God. He's the audience. We have one audience tonight, and you're not it. God in heaven is the audience, and we're coming before Him to offer up our praise and our worship to Him as His people. And those who would come in from the outside, who would not know Christ and not be His people, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that those people are to see in us It should be a testimony even to be here that we are living and gathering for the sole purpose of worshiping our God who we know. And so even our gathering can be a corporate work of evangelism, but we spread out when we leave these these seats and we go into our community to spread the gospel of Christ. Some churches have over the back door, maybe you've seen this in your church at one point, you are now entering the mission field so that when you walk out the back door after church, You've just left the gathering and you're going out in the mission field. And uh, we do not think of our community often as a mission field. But we're committed to God-centered worship and then evangelism and we're going to get there in just a second. Commitment number six, to grace-motivated spiritual growth. Living a grace-motivated life is not a liberty that allows a believer to choose a lifestyle independent of the Scriptures. Rather, it is a discipline and increasingly teaches a believer to say no to ungodliness and to hunger for righteousness We place a high premium on confession to one another and before God as well. Commitment number seven, commitment to authenticity and accountability. Believers must go beyond superficial relationships and be committed to intimacy in each other's lives, continually stirring up one another to love God and to love others. The church must minister to both the physical and spiritual needs of the body. So we're committed to authenticity and accountability. Transparency should mark us out as those who are honest about who we are, not playing a game or putting on a facade as we gather together. Commitment number eight is to church discipline and restoration. Even though it is unpopular in our culture, 
A church family must be committed to following the complete biblical process when a church member is in an unrepentant sin. Restoration, the constant goal of church discipline, patiently returns an erring Christian to complete fellowship with God and the church. And we find that in Matthew 18, as well as Galatians 6, if you wanted to read more about that commitment that we have from the New Testament. Commitment number nine is to corporate ministry. Each believer is made for ministry and has a place to serve or reach out. Ministry should never be viewed as the job of the trained professionals. And we've been talking about that, and we're going to talk about that more this evening. But we believe in corporate ministry, that the church serves as a body, each part playing its, its role, and each piece being perfectly fitted together so that the body moves and grows and develops and accomplishes what Christ has set it up to accomplish. And commitment number 10 is to making disciples locally and globally. The church should foster disciple-making within its own community through the relational witness of the body, as well as in the world through church planning and missions, both individually and corporately. We will purposefully and aggressively pursue evangelism. And we're looking forward to even doing evangelism training in the very near future uh, so that we can be more and more mobilized to go into our community and the communities around us and stand for the truth and proclaim the gospel uh, to those who need it. Okay, so those are the ten ministry commitments. That's not an exhaustive list of what we're committed to, but that lays the groundwork at least for something that we can go back to and say, how are we doing? Are we being faithful? Are we staying true to what we've committed to do? And uh, how, is, um, how are the commitments that we're living by being played out in our corporate gatherings together? So those are important things to us. And I thought I'd share them with you just to make you aware of them, and uh, they'll be coming shortly. I won't put a time frame, but they'll be coming shortly in a printed form that you can take from, we're going to have two tables in the back that'll be our resource tables, and you can come and grab one of those as soon as they're made available. Okay? All right, Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. We're going to spend just a little bit of time studying just two verses this evening, and I hope this will be an encouragement to you as it has been to me throughout the week. Renee is uh, in the nursery tonight, and so... Over lunch, she said, well, I'm not going to be there tonight, so you need to tell me everything that you're going to say uh, so that I get it. And uh, so I've already walked through this with Renee. I've been thinking and meditating on this, and it's just an encouraging section of our Bible, and I hope it's an encouragement to you this evening. If you weren't with us last week, let me review quickly where we've been. We studied verses 11 to 14 last Sunday evening, and uh, we looked at Christ's gifting for His church and God's gift and Christ's gift to the church of leadership. And the design for those leaders in verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So God has gifted individuals, shepherds and teachers to equip His people, an evangelist to church plant and equip His people for the building up of the body of Christ. The goal is found in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge and to mature manhood. Um, adulthood is our goal. And the standard by which you remember, the standard by which we judge our maturity is not another Christian, it's not another church. The standard is Christ Himself. And so in verse 13, at the tail end of the verse, we find to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the standard that we're looking to. And this is important for us because if we're to measure ourselves accurately, we must constantly go to the person of Christ. 
His direction, His pursuits, His purposes, His surrender to His Father's will, all those things must mark us out. In fact, we talked about maturity spiritually will be seen as a church body in how we reflect our head. How much does our life as a church body and how much does your life as an individual reflect the life and the goals and the purposes of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the standard by which we measure our maturity. Always progressing, never completed until we see Him face to face. Okay? So that was the goals. Those were the goals for church leaders. That they would bring the church to maturity. And then ultimately then the result is found in verse 14 so that we would no longer be children. And there's a negative understanding here of what it is to be mature in Christ. It's to not be a child any longer. Children are marked out as those who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. And that's where we concluded. So we had God's gift of church leadership, God's design for church leadership, God's goals for church leadership, and we concluded with the result that God brings through church leadership, that being spiritual maturity and adulthood. Okay, so Paul has not really broken thought. We broke thought for the sake of time. And now we find ourselves in verse 15. And that's where we'll pick up our study tonight in just verses 15 and 16. And um, we'll conclude this paragraph in Paul's thought, really beginning back in verse number 7. So let's read verses 15 and 16, coming on the heels of what we've just said. Paul says, Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it, is build, so that it builds up itself in love. And these will be the verses that we study this evening. Now, tonight we're going to look at three positive attributes. If, there were, if the negative attributes were that we avoid deception, cunning, deceit, and that we are no longer children, there's the positive side in verse 15 of what it is to be spiritually mature. So we're going to take a closer look at spiritual maturity from the positive perspective. The negative perspective is, if you're spiritually mature, you're no longer a child. You're not tossed about by the storms of life and by every wind of doctrine or teaching that comes down the pike. And now positively, here are the marks, three of them that we'll see that mark out the spiritually mature. Mark number one, truth is the habit of spiritual maturity. Positive reality of those who are spiritually mature. Truth is the habit of spiritual maturity. Paul here uses, in my translation, the word is rather. You may have but, rather, or just but. But Paul is using a constructive idea. He's using a heavy contrast against what he has just said. It's almost a parallel idea where he is calling us away from what he has just said in verse 14. That we're not tossed to and fro and carried about, but rather we're grounded, we're growing up. And then he defines it for us. So, understand that this is a contrastive idea. It's opposed, it's opposite to what a child would be. Here are the positive marks found in verse 15. And the first one is speaking the truth in love. 
That verse is so familiar to us that I think often we read it fast and potentially miss the weight of what we're reading. The characteristic of the one who is growing and developing spiritually and the characteristic of the church that is growing and developing spiritually into maturity is one that is constantly and habitually about the truth. Interesting word here. This word is basically taking a noun and trying to make it into a verb. If we were to really literally translate this, it's truthing in love. Truthing in love. In other words, everything that, that, that flows out of the church and out of the individuals that make up the church is wrapped up in the truth. Truth is everything. It's not just spoken, but it's lived out. Both concepts are here. You are truthing in love. If you are spiritually mature, and if you are spiritually maturing, then you are more and more being found to be one who has habitual truth as a stamp upon their lives. The truth is the ever-present way of life for the spiritually mature. This is a, quite a humbling thought. Because oftentimes we live outside of the truth. Now listen, there's two standpoints to look at this. Just the truth as doctrine is one element where we speak the truth to one another. And we live the truth before one another. That being the truth of the Gospel. The truth of what the Word of God has revealed to us. The second element is that we live truthfully. In other words, we live as who we truly are. We are truthing in love. And so I would ask you tonight, as a point of application, right off the bat, how truthful are we in our interaction with one another? How truthful are we in our gathering times with one another? And how truthful are we to those that we interact with on a daily basis as we go out from the gathering with the church? Because if we are marked as spiritually mature, and if we are spiritually maturing on a consistent basis, we'll be known as those who live and speak the truth. Consistently. This is a present tense participle, which means it's an ongoing reality. They're not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. They're not being sucked in by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, they're speaking, consistently living and speaking the truth. They are truthing in love. And that in love is vital for our understanding because it's not just truth that sets apart the spiritually mature, it's truth that is wrapped up and exists in the sphere of true biblical love. Truth is to be spoken and lived within the reality of biblical love. In other words, love is the atmosphere in which truth must exist for it to be effective and for it to be spiritually mature. Love is the atmosphere in which truth must exist if it is to be spiritually mature. Truth without love, and you've all interacted with it, truth without love is cold. Cold orthodoxy has no effect on the lives of other people. Love, devoid of truth, is nothing short of sappy sentimentality. You can be very loving, but if it's devoid of truth speaking and truth living you're left with a warm and sappy and worldly sense of love. Love here is not a feeling. 
Love is a choice that sacrifices its own interest for the benefit of others. And there could be no sacrifice greater than speaking the truth to one another. This is hard. We don't like to speak the truth to one another. We would rather skirt the issue, not speak against the truth, but just not speak to the truth with one another. And Paul here says that if we are spiritually maturing as a body, we'll be marked out, first and foremost, as being habitually truthful. Truthful in our lifestyle, authentic. What you see is what you get. should be the mark of Grace Church of the Valley. And truthful in our speech, we are willing to sacrifice our own comfort and potentially the affection of other people to say the truth to them, all the while existing in the sphere of love and concern and compassion for those to whom we speak and those before whom we live. So, do you live and speak in the truth? Or are you a cliche Christian? Do we hear ourselves say to people, just hang in there, hey, good luck, hope things work out. Get it while you can, man. You've got to grab everything you can. Do we live by the no fear policy? Do we hear ourselves say, you've got to look out for number one sometimes. Don't worry about it. You've got to look out for number one. Or any number of other worldly, truthless statements that make up the mantras of the world that we live in. Or do we find ourselves saying, don't just hang in there. Exist in joy in what God has placed on your plate. In humility, learning from what He is teaching you through trial. Do we acknowledge God's providence in lives of others and in our own life? Do we extol others to acknowledge God's sovereign control? Do we recognize that we do not live for the here and now, we live for eternity and we're willing to speak that way and we're willing to live that way? Are we truthing in love? Are we consumed with the good of others and the glory of God? Or are we speaking and living in a way that says, in fact, we live for the glory and the service of ourselves? How truthful, how consumed with the truth are our lives? Secondly, are you living and speaking a churchianity or a vital and loving Christianity? I think John MacArthur has said churchianity. Somebody has. I don't have an original thought in my life. So are you living and speaking a churchianity or a vital and loving Christian? In other words, do you live a religious lifestyle where you come to church, you put on the church face, we gather together, we say the right things, it's habitual to us, we know what to do, and we go out and we live our lives as something other than the truth that we affirm that we believe when we gather together? Or are we living a vital, living relationship with a person Jesus Christ, that consumes our our lives, our days, our moments, our thoughts, so that truth becomes a habit for us. That should be our prayer. Because Paul says here that spiritual maturity is marked out as speaking the truth in love. Not only that, there's a second facet that we'll see tonight of spiritual maturity on the positive side. And that is that Christ is the head of spiritual maturity. And we'll see this in verses 15, the second half, and then verse 16 at the beginning. So truth is the habit of spiritual maturity. And then secondly, Christ is the head of spiritual maturity. And this isn't difficult to see if you have your Bible open there in front of you. We are to grow up in every way into Him 
who is the head into Christ. This is a powerful thought because then reading on in verse 16, it says, from whom, and that from points directly back to Christ. So we're to grow up into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And I don't know if you're thinking this way, but verses 15 and 16 reveal to us that Jesus Christ is both the source and He's the goal of our growth. So in verse 15, He's the goal into which we are growing. We are growing into Him or unto Him. Not only is He the goal, but He's also the source. It's from Him that we exist and have been equipped and the body exists and has been equipped. And so our growth is dependent and it is set with its affection and its attention on its head, that being Christ. He's the goal and He's the source. He's equipped the church with the connective joints that hold it together. This is a phenomenal word picture here from Paul as he uses these body images. He says that we're to grow up It's a physical growth in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held or knit together by every joint with which it is equipped. In other words, in this body, the church, Christ has made and supplied all the connective tissue that's needed to hold it together for it to serve and to work effectively as He has designed. He hasn't left joints out. None of us can say that we can't operate within the church because Christ has supplied the connective tissue for us all to operate properly. You say, well, what is the connective tissue? I believe the connective tissue, the joints and the knitting together, the holding together, point us back to the equippers of the saints. The joints that have been equipped and supplied to the church are those that have been mentioned in verse 11. The apostles and the prophets as the foundational givers of truth, direct revelation before the written word was completed. Evangelists as those who go out sharing the gospel and and bringing the church together as God saves people's lives and developing the church. And then the shepherds and teachers, the pastors and the teachers who equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, our head is our example, and He is our source. He's supplied every need for us to grow. And if we are growing, we're growing up into Him. He is the goal, and we are growing because of Him. He is the source. He's given us everything we need. This speaks really to the intimate design of our Master as well, who has put all the right pieces in place. Ever think about that? We may think about it in, a, in an individual sense that Christ has completed and given all that I need. He's more than enough. I am complete in Him. These are all phrases that we might think of. But the church is complete in Christ. He supplied every need, every joint, every ligament is where it should be so that it can run and operate the way it was intended to run and operate for the glory of His name. No matter the size, no matter the influence of any local church, if they are to evaluate true spiritual maturity, it has to be found in habitual truth and in Christ as the head of their growth. Okay? So as we determine, are we in fact growing? 
best church growth mechanism we can use is to come to Ephesians 4 and say, are we growing up into our head and are we acknowledging that He is the source of our growth because He has supplied every joint and He is holding it all together. So, truth is the habit of the spiritually mature. If we're going to make a checklist and evaluate our lives with full understanding that God's grace is at work in us as we mature as His people, we're to be pursuing habitual truth as a way of life. Secondly, Christ is the head. He's our goal and He's our source. So as we live our lives before Him, we are striving to be like Him, not just what would Jesus do, what would He say, what would He think, what has He revealed about Himself. And then we fall in dependence on Him as the One who is the giver of our life and who has supplied His Spirit in His absence that we might grow. And then finally, tonight... I think we find in verse 16 that unity is the hallmark of the spiritually mature. So truth is the habit. Christ is the head. Unity is the hallmark. I got three H's and I I could go no further. Okay? Habit, head, and hallmark. Unity is the hallmark of the spiritually mature. It's the watermark. It's the stamp that should mark them out. Look at verse 16 at the conclusion of the verse. Paul says, When each part is working properly... Each part, working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we're back to the sphere of love. We are to be serving one another. We're to be about corporate ministry, as we've already talked about as a commitment under the delegated leaders of Christ Church. Because as we are active and working properly, each of us in our role, each of us using our gifts and our abilities for His church's purpose, then we will actually be used of God to help one another be built up. When we think of of means of spiritual growth, the means of spiritual growth, what is it that God uses in our lives as means of grace to grow us? I would not think that high up on our list, maybe it's different for you, that we would think of our times together and the interaction that we have with one another as a means to our growth. But it is vital for us. Because if we're to be built up and to be growing and maturing as a church, and as God's people, it will be God's people serving and living out their giftedness with habitual truth and with Christ as the goal and the source that will aid us in our growth. And we will be iron sharpening iron. Both will be improved in their ministry. Both will be matured in their faith, and we will see our church growing from a biblical perspective of church growth. The maturing church is unified and busy. Each part is working. That means working. To the point of exhaustion, each part doing its, its best work to live out its gifts for the sake of the church. Love is again seen as the sphere. We see that at the end of the verse, that it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love is never far from Paul's mind as he calls the Ephesian church to action. Truth is our loving habit. Christ is our sufficient head. And unified labor is our joyful hallmark if indeed we're found as a spiritually mature people. Okay? 
There's a lot to grasp here. And there's a lot to consider for our own lives from this just these two simple verses. I think it's easy for us to evaluate our lives when it comes to truth. We think about, do we believe the truth? Do we speak the truth? As it says, do we live the truth? Are we truthful in what we say and what we do in our lives? It's harder for us to evaluate our motive. Do we look to Christ as the goal? As our ultimate example? Do we look to Christ as our source? I think that will only be, only be shown in us if we are consumed with His person and His work and we know who He is and we fall in dependence before Him, found in our prayer and our Bible study. And then are we unified? Are we stamped as those who are working properly as a group so that we can be building ourselves up and growing up together? Going from childhood to adulthood together. Sharpening one another, provoking one another, encouraging one another, confronting one another, all the while operating in the atmosphere of true biblical love. It's interesting in God's providence that we conclude verse 16 and our study, the short study of Ephesians chapter 4, with the words, in love. Because next Sunday night, David's going to come and he's going to open up 1 Corinthians 13, among other passages, and we're going to talk about biblical love as it's defined within the church. I think that'll be a fitting conclusion to our brief study of what God intends for His church. So you might ask, you know, what am I supposed to do with this throughout the week? Adam, what's the point of our time in verses 15 and 16? And I wrote down just a couple of things that we might do to help examine our lives. Examine your life to see if you are truthing in love. Are you consistently living and speaking the truth? Examine your life to see if Christ is both the goal and the source of your growth spiritually? Or do you have some other means that you live out to grow spiritually? Examine your life to see if unity and labor as you're gifted is the hallmark of your relationship to the church. Or is your relationship to this church or to any other church simply a spectator sport? That's not what God intended. He intended for us to grow up together, all of us working properly in our particular roles in the body. So, acknowledge and pursue the divine gifts for the church, both as they pertain to you personally and as they pertain to leadership. And acknowledge and pursue spiritual maturity, which is seen in biblical discernment as well as mutual development within the church. I really think that we need to be focused and desiring to grow. I think when we're brand new Christians, we are so, so aware that we don't know anything, that we don't understand anything, and we have a, just a hunger like a baby for milk, to, to, to grow. We want so badly to grow. I just want to grow in the Lord. And as years go by, as we become more and more comfortable in our Christianity, we lose that ache for growth. We lose that understanding that we're desperately in need of development and maturity. And you know that the physical body is no different than the spiritual body. When we become complacent, atrophy is the first thing that happens, right? Muscles shrink. We start to become weak. And we find ourselves before long, back in verse 14, like little children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, being wrapped up in cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so tonight, if you're here, you've been a Christian for any amount of time, 
I would call you along with myself to renew our pursuit of growth. Pursue our, our understanding of God's Word with a renewed vigor. May we be people of the book. Pursue our dependence on God as seen in our prayer life. May we be people of prayer. And all the while, desiring for God to work out in us and through us growth in His church. Because we will then be fulfilling what He has intended. His purposes will be being accomplished. And ultimately then, you understand that we'll be able to bring glory to God as we exist with the Lord's prayer mentality, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As His will is accomplished here through us, we are reflecting the reality of heaven that God is in fact the sovereign one who has created and redeemed us and we owe him all of our allegiance. That's just a short glimpse of what Ephesians 4 has to say about the church and I trust that it will shape us for the rest of our church existence that we might be found faithful to do and to say and to live and to operate in a way that acknowledges before others that we have one Master, the Master of the Church, Jesus Christ Himself. Our Father, thank You for our time together in Your Word. We are always encouraged by opportunities to sit and to study our Bibles. We're grateful, as I've been reminded today, to have our Bible in English, to be able to read Your Word in our own language, to see clearly what You've intended for us, As we've studied tonight and looked at the positive attributes of those who are growing in spiritual maturity, God, we want to be known as those who are truth-bearing in every facet of our lives. We want to be known as those who are consumed with the person of Christ. He is our all. We are Christ's followers. We are His disciples. We would die for Him. He's our goal, and yet we depend on Him as our source. Oh, how we need to love our Christ more purely. And we desire that our unity together would be a unity that's based upon our mutual working out of the gifts that You've given us by Your Spirit. That we might be building one another up. That we would build up together here at Grace Church of the Valley. May we mature as we encourage and we sharpen and we work with one another. And may each part work properly. And may each part work in love. That the truth of the Gospel, the good news of Your gracious love, would not stand opposed to the lifestyle we live, but would rather our lives would mirror the message of love that we present to the lost world around us. May we be faithful this week. May Your Word transform and renew our minds. And may we ultimately, as a church and as each individual member, may we, may we bring you glory in a way that we have not so to this point. And we acknowledge joyfully and freely and as often as possible that we can do none of this without your grace and without your Spirit's work in and through us. So we fall before you as your people desiring to do your work. And we ask this in Jesus' name, our head. Amen.